through, I started preaching through 1 John on Sunday mornings. And we deviated from that a little bit. Well, we're going to deviate again today. Uh, there's something else I need to talk to you about. And I believe with all that is transpired around us today in the world, with all the political and racial tension and, and political, racial motivated violence, uh, with uh, the intimidation that seems to be going on, and many folks uh, have this, uh, this uh, thought of uncertainty concerning our country and concerning our world, and the fact that many believe that the, the biggest election in the history of our country is coming up next week. Now, if you're worried I'm going to give a political pitch, I'm not doing that. Uh, uh, people say, well, who are you voting for? I'm not even going to tell you that. But I'll tell you, I will not vote for a candidate, a platform, or a party that believes okay to slaughter babies. Okay? Uh, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm telling you that if you'll study God's word, I think you'll arrive at the right decision. Now, let me say this. With everything that's going on, and many people thinking our, our country's gone, uh, we're never going to get it back. You know, if this person or that person wins the election, oh, oh my goodness. You know, they run around. How many of you seen that cartoon, uh, Chicken Little? So many folks are running around like Chicken Little. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. Well, because of that, folks, we're going to study today, and I think we need to remember this, this one tremendous, unchanging, never-ending fact. And we're going to study today one of the most important, yet I believe, one of the, the least understood doctrines in all of Scripture. We're going to look at the sovereignty of God. You say, well, preacher, you preached on the sovereignty of God many times. Yes, I have. And you say you believe in the sovereignty of God. We all say, well, I believe that God is sovereign. But do you really understand what that means? Today, uh, with the uh, power of the Holy Spirit, guidance from the Holy Spirit, and God's Word, what I want to do is try to show you and explain to you the sovereignty of God in my limited ability and show you how the sovereignty of God and the free will of man work together. Now, if that's not a big subject to bite off of, I don't know what is. Because that has been discussed, debated, and argued ever since church began. But today, you're going to say, you got all the answers, preacher? No, are you kidding? No, I don't have all the answers. But I'm going to give you my best understanding of it, okay? Now, let's start this way. We're taught in Scripture. And, you know, a pastor at times, he doesn't just preach, he teaches. Amen? So this morning, I'm going to do a little bit of both. I want you to pay close attention to me. Uh, we're taught in Scripture, and I know you've heard these three words before, but we're taught, number one, that God is omniscient. Now, we know that means God knows everything about everything and everyone, everywhere. Nothing and no one is hidden from God. Amen? Number two, Scripture teaches us that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. The great baseball philosopher Yogi Berra, he once said, I've noticed everywhere I go, there I am. Well, let me tell you something. Everywhere you go, there God is. And think about this. God does not have to go anywhere because God is already there. Omnipresent. The third word is omnipotent. Now, we understand that that means He is all-powerful. Now, that doesn't mean that God can do anything because that is not true. I've heard people say, well, God can do anything. Well, in reality, that's not Anything that does not contradict His Word or His character, that does not go against His holiness. 
So there's obviously some things that God uh, can't or won't do. God can't lie. He can't die. He can't do wrong. He can't be tempted to do wrong. And He does not tempt us to do wrong because that would be inconsistent with His character. Now on the other hand, God's power knows no limits. And because He is infinite, He is infinitely powerful. Now if you'll take all three of those omni-attributes of God and bring them together... This is what you get. God can do anything He wants to do because He is omnipotent. He can do it any way He wants to do it in the present. And He knows how to do what's right every time. The best thing to do because He is omniscient. To put it another way, God is always wherever He needs to be and knows whatever needs to be done and has the power to see it through and make sure it's done. Now, those three attributes of God, again, working together, they form what you and I know as the sovereignty of God. Now, just to make sure that, church, we're on the same page together, let me give you a definition. Sovereignty of God. God is in complete control of everything and everyone, everywhere, and at every moment. Listen to me. Either implicitly or explicitly, God's sovereignty is on every single page of the Bible. Let me give you a few obvious verses. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart's in the hands of the Lord like rivers of water. He turns it whithersoever he will. Uh, another one, Job 42.2 Job is talking to God and he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be stopped or can be thwarted. Psalm 115.3 But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Ephesians 1 verse 11 He works all things according Now listen to this. According to the counsel of his will. Did you catch that? God doesn't have to counsel with you and me before he makes a decision. It's according to the counsel of his will. So that tells us God knows all things. He governs all things. He guides all things. Everything that happens either is dictated or permitted by the sovereign hand of God. Do you believe that? If you believe scripture, you believe that. I'm going to say it again. Everything that happens is either, folks, dictated or permitted by the sovereign hand of God. So that means there's no such thing as luck or happenstance or coincidence or chance. Someone once said this about coincidences. They said coincidences are simply God's way of remaining anonymous. R.C. Sproul says this, God does not roll the dice. Nothing happens by chance to anyone, anywhere, ever. But isn't it amazing, folks, how quickly we give credit or we assign blame to things such as luck? Uh, we, we say, well, luck is the cause of our blessings or our catastrophes. I had good luck or I had bad luck. And when we credit luck or we credit fate or we credit uh, destiny or whatever else we want to, to credit, what we're doing is discrediting the Lord. We're insulting our all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, ever-present God. Listen, I want you to remember this statement. If anything could happen apart from the sovereignty of God, then God could not be God. Now, does that make sense to you? Some of you are nodding. I bet the rest of you, let me say it one more time. If anything could happen apart from, the sovereign, apart from the sovereignty of God, then God could not be God. And let me explain it. Because if God did not want something to happen, and it happened anyway, then whatever caused that thing to happen would have more authority or more power than God. Think about this, Christian. Now, I hope today is a believer. If not, you're going to get a chance to, to, to acknowledge that fact. 
in just a few moments. You're going to get a chance to surrender your life to this sovereign God of the universe that I'm preaching about. Think about this. If God wasn't sovereign, there's no way uh, He could promise us or command us not to worry. Do Do you agree with that? If God was not sovereign, He couldn't command you not to worry because something could happen to you that He didn't want to happen to you. If God wasn't sovereign, He couldn't assure you of answered prayer because something might override His will or His desire. If God was not sovereign, He couldn't promise you peace in spite of the circumstances that you're in. And then one of the great ones, if God was not sovereign, He certainly couldn't guarantee eternal life. Friend, only a God who is in complete control of everything and everyone, everywhere, every moment can promise these things. So take your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 16 this morning. This is one of those rare texts in the book of Proverbs where Solomon, he, he makes a sustained argument on one single topic instead of uh, you know, having random collection of thoughts and, and, and sayings. Now these verses as a unified whole that we're going to read, verses 1 through 15, they speak of three things. They speak of God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, and the rule of God through his Messiah, King Jesus. So look with me. Let's start reading verse 1, Proverbs 16. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble or for disaster. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. He is assured, uh, Be assured he will not go unpunished. Verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Now listen to verse 9. It goes along with verse 3. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination uh, to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the light of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the, light, uh, in the light of a king's face, there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring rain in springtime. Father, today I pray you would still our hearts and our minds, that we would not be concerned about anything else at this moment. But Father, we'd be focused on what it is you're saying to us. There are many of us here today who need to hear your word. We need that word within our hearts. There are many perhaps here today who are, uh, Father, they're worried, they're stressed, they're too uh, overly concerned about the events of this world. I pray you'd ease their heart and mind with the fact that you are a sovereign God, that nothing escapes your view, your grasp, your control. Father, I pray we would just pause and focus on you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Several things God's sovereignty assures us. Number one, look at verse one. God's sovereignty assures us that he will accomplish his will. Verse one again, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, you say, preacher, what does that mean? Well, simply, it's saying that we make plans, but God's will is what determines if those plans succeed or not. 
See, it's, it's not our uh, ingenuity, our creativity, our determination. God's the one that's in control. Now listen to me. Don't ever think this way. We are responsible to plan wisely. We are responsible to make godly decisions. But God is the ultimate determiner of whether or not those plans succeed or fail. Verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. What Solomon is saying is by guidance of God that God judges both actions and motives. I mean, most of the time, all of us, we think, well, we're okay. We're pretty good people. We have a tendency to deceive ourselves about our own goodness and about our own purity. And one of the reasons we do is because we want to judge ourselves and compare ourselves to others. We want to go out and find uh, you know, a drunk in the gutter or a prostitute on the street or a hypocrite in the church or whatever it may be. And we want to compare ourselves to that person and say, well, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. Well, we're just told right here, the ways of man appear in his own eyes, but God weighs the Spirit. And you know what? We oftentimes have the tendency that we want to judge others by a harsher standard than we want to apply to ourselves. Is that not true? Well, I got news for you, friend. God has one standard. His standard is complete perfection, complete righteousness. And what is, or I might I say, who is God's standard? It's Jesus Christ. Now, look at verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Skip down to verse 9. I told you they go together, go hand in hand together. The heart of man, uh, the heart, <coughs> excuse me, of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now at this point, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your spiritual thinking caps on. I want you to hang on. Because, and I've told you before, I'm going to get a little deep for a minute, few minutes. Well, I'm not just going to get deep here. We're going to get over our head. All right, so I need you to pay close attention. Listen to me. If not, in just a few minutes, you'll be lost as last year's Easter egg, okay? So pay attention to what I'm telling you. Now, we're talking about the sovereignty of God. There are some who have a very negative view of the sovereignty of God because they say, well, if that's true, then it doesn't matter what I do, what I choose, since God's will is going to be done anyway, then that means my obedience to Him doesn't really matter. My influence in the future doesn't really matter. Friend, that's called fatalism. And understand me, fatalism teaches that no matter what you choose to do, things will turn out the same. Now I want to make it real clear. God's Word does not teach fatalism in any shape, form, or fashion. As a matter of fact, it teaches uh, what is known by many as compatibilism, not fatalism. You say, preach, you lose me. Hang on. Compatibilism is a view that God is absolutely sovereign. Just like I told you a few moments ago, and yet your choices, my choices, our choices and decisions have real meaning, real consequences, and we are responsible for those choices. Let me illustrate it this way. Give you a simple little illustration. You can see how the two work. Fatalism would say if it's a determined, and I'm going to use Hannah as an illustration, if it's determined that Hannah fails, that she gets an F on the test she's taking tomorrow, and I know that's never going to happen, baby. Uh, but it, fatalism says if it's determined that she's going to get an F on a test, it doesn't make any difference how hard she studies, how well she knows the material, she is going to fail. Her choices don't affect what will ultimately happen. That's fatalism. Compatibilism, on the other hand, says that our choices really do affect the future, and that if different choices had been made, the future would have been different. Compatibilism says if Hannah doesn't study, she will fail. But if she does study, then her studying will be the means that brings about that good grade. 
Now, I told you this is deep. It makes your head hurt if you think on it a long while. But listen, folks, it, it, sometimes some of the deep things in Scripture you need to think about. You need to get beyond the surface, get beneath it, and really think. And let me say this. Say it again. I don't have all the answers to this. Nobody else does either. Because how can the finite understand the infinite without the infinite explaining it? God has explained what we need to know. And that's all I'm sharing with you today. Here's the bottom line in regard to God's sovereignty. God has not only ordained the end, but the means to the end as well. Our decisions are, are and I, I, Marcia and I was talking about this this morning, our decisions are links in a chain that form the ordained means by God to bring about His ordained ends. Let me do it this way. If different decisions had been made, for instance, Hannah deciding to study and knowing the material, the end result would have been different. But God, to ensure that the means He has ordained will most certainly occur so that none of His purposes will ever fail. I know, it's like I'm talking in riddles, right? But listen, what I've just explained to you, that is why God's sovereignty does not negate man's responsibility. Man is responsible for his choices, the choices that he makes. But it does not, it does not affect God's sovereignty. Now, I've told you before, uh, I will never define man's sovereign, or, uh, God's sovereignty by man's free will. But I will always define man's free will in accordance with God's sovereignty. Now, let me say something else. Uh, there are people who view the sovereignty of God negatively. Then there are some others who, and let me just put it clear as I can, we can't use the doctrine of God's sovereignty as an excuse for laziness or lack of wisdom. Some people are that way. For instance, God's sovereignty doesn't allow us to just sit back and count on Him to feed us. There are some people who would say, well, if God has planned for us to eat, we'll eat, no matter if I work or not. Right, preacher? No, wrong. Wrong. Listen to me. Let me say it again. God uses means, working, to accomplish His ends. The way God feeds through our labor, but both the means and the ends belong to God. And this fact, folks, it ought to cause us to be humble. It ought to cause us to be faithful and totally dependent upon Him. God's sovereignty is meant to diminish our pride in ourselves and to focus all of our full weight and confidence on Him alone. And I want to say something right here make it very clear. These verses aren't discouraging good planning or wise decision making. Not in the least. But what they do is make us aware of God's role in the final outcome. In anything, they belong to God, not to you and not to me. That's why we can't say, look what I did. We have to say, look what God did. Now, I'm going to tell you something right here. It may be a little hard for some of you to bear or to hear or to swallow and digest. But let me tell you something. God doesn't owe us any explanation about what He's done or what He is doing, about what He has allowed or what He is allowing in our life or in the world. People say, well, why doesn't God owe us an explanation? Well, number one, because He's God. But also because He's God, He doesn't owe us an explanation because there's nothing in this universe, including your life and mine, that does not belong to Him. Everything and everyone belongs to Him. 
We haven't made God. He's made us. And listen to me. God is not here for us. We're here for Him. So let me make something real clear. If you find yourself thinking God would never or could never have allowed this to happen, you have developed an unbiblical theology. You have created an idol in your mind of God. See, you've created God in your mind and in your image, and you've created a God who has to abide by your standards. I'm telling you, that God does not exist. God holds our lives in the palm of His And the reason He does is because He is completely holy, completely good, and completely just. Nothing, I'm going to say it again, Christian, nothing is allowed to touch us unless it is filtered through the fingers of God's grace. Only the circumstances that will benefit us and reveal God's character in us are allowed to seep through His protective fingers. And His omniscience, God knows what difficulties will work for our good and for His glory. And in His omnipotence, He makes sure those things happen. Move on to the second thing. God's sovereignty accomplishes His will perfectly. But secondly, God's sovereignty assures us that He will judge evil fully. Look at verse 4 and 5. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. You know, it seems like you look around the world today, and evil is winning, doesn't it? I mean, people, uh, it seems like the wicked, uh, they're getting away with the injury, the insult, and the grief that they're giving to a lot of folks. And they are getting away with the loot for what they've done. You know, they're getting rich by being evil. These verses remind us that those who do not submit to God, they will not go unpunished. There will be no exceptions with God. Now let me make something very clear to you. I don't care who a person is in this life. I don't care how much money they have, influence, power they have. I don't care how many Washingtonian lawyers they got on retainer. They will not escape standing before a righteous and a holy God. And listen to me, Christian, we, and I've, I've seen a lot of Christians that are at this point, we are not to be so concerned with the how and the wind of that judgment. Uh-uh. No, we're to be confident in the certainty of it that is coming. Look at verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice, or great gains with injustice. I think that verse uh, can help us when we see wicked people succeeding and godly people suffering. You know, God through Solomon is reminding us there are going to be times when the righteous will be poor because of their righteousness. And there's going to be times when the wicked and, and the rich will have plenty because of their wickedness. And there may be seasons when it looks like evil is winning and things are not working out the way they should. But we are being assured right here in this passage that God is at work overseeing the entire process. And always remember, Christian, evil can succeed temporarily but never ultimately. And the righteous, we're going to suffer temporarily but not eternally. You might remember the story of Joseph. You remember Joseph in the book of Genesis? In chapter 50, I think it's about 20, Joseph is standing before his brothers. The very same brothers who years before threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Now Joseph, God has brought him from being a slave, from being a prisoner in the pit, to being the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. 
Matter of fact, at this time in world history, he was the second most powerful man in the world because Egypt was a superpower. God brought him from the pit to the palace. And now his brothers who threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery are standing before him. You remember what Joseph said to him? In verse 20 of Genesis 50, he says, You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God is not the author of evil, and I want to make that very clear, but, but he can and does use evil to bring about his plan and purposes in our lives and in the world. Now, even though God, and again, he's not the author of evil, God uses evil for his righteous purpose. But even though God uses evil, remember, he's not the author of it, but even though God uses it, he still holds us responsible and accountable for our wicked choices and our sinful decisions. Third thing, look at verse 6 and 7. Solomon tells us God's sovereignty assures us that he will save sinners graciously. Verse 6 and 7. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now let me ask you something. Whose love and faithfulness is sin atoned for? You say mine. No, you're reading the verse wrong. It's not yours, not mine. It's God's love and faithfulness, not ours. Listen, all sin is evil, and evil is an affront to God, but God graciously turns His wrath away from our sin because of the blood substitute, someone who took our place. Now, we've talked about this in the Old Testament. All the, the atoning sacrifices that were made, they all pointed to the ultimate sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. The Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Now, Christian, we need to remember our enemies, and a lot of us need to remember this right now today. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. Our enemies are sin, Satan, and death. And Jesus defeated all of them with his death and resurrection. And because of his grace and by his mercy, we get to share in that. So understand God's sovereignty is good news because it means that he saves us from our sin. He makes us wise and empowers us to live daily over sin and defeat the devil. And he has defeated our greatest enemy, which is death, so we don't have to fear the future. Now I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you never thought about this, but the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the supreme sovereignty of God as well as anything I know. Because at the cross, the ultimate example of God using evil to accomplish good and to accomplish his perfect plan took place. Let me give you some verses. Peter was preaching a message on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. He says, this man, he's speaking about Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Isaiah 53, 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. So understand, the cross was God's plan. The cross was not an afterthought. It was in the heart of God before he ever created this world. It was God's plan to redeem sinful man. But even though it was God's plan to do so, wicked people hung Jesus on the cross because they wanted him to die. They made that decision to do so. At the cross, we see man's responsibility and we see God's sovereignty together. God predestined and planned the cross, but men freely, wickedly chose to kill Jesus. 
Now Herod, Pilate, the Jews, the Romans, they weren't screaming, no, we don't want Jesus to die. We're being forced to do this. Friend, God doesn't force anybody to do evil. They weren't being forced. They chose to do so. And in that wickedness, in that evil, God used it for His glorious sovereign plan of salvation. The cross is a place where God honored both the demands of His justice and the demands of grace. Justice was honored and satisfied because God did indeed judge sin by pouring His wrath out on Jesus Christ. But God's grace was also honored and satisfied because Jesus suffered the wrath of God in your place and my place and because God only demands, friend, that the penalty be paid once, there is no wrath left for us who know Jesus Christ. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. There's a final thing. The last thing Solomon tells us. God's sovereignty it assures us that He's going to accomplish His will perfectly. He will judge evil fully. He's going to save sinners graciously. But number four, He will reign supreme eternally. The sovereign, the word sovereign means boss or authority or ruler or king. You know, God makes numerous claims in the Bible pointing to himself as the ultimate source of power and authority in this universe because God's claim to be king is not just for this world. It's for every world. It's for this entire universe. He is without equal. He is king of kings and lord of lords. I want you to notice verses 10 through 15. That is the main point that's being made here. Notice how many times the word king is used. Now I'm going I'm to do something a little different. I'm going to read this out of the NIV translation. Beginning in verse 10. The lips of a king speak as an oracle and his mouth does not betray justice. Honest scales and balances belong to the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. Kings detest wrongdoing for a throne is established through righteousness. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but the wise will appease it. When a king's face brightens, it means life. His favor is like a rain cloud in the spring. In the Old Testament time, God's sovereignty was mediated to his people through human kings. But there was a problem. There was not a perfect human king. Every one of them was broken. Every one of them was flawed. And that led to a nation of people being the same way. Broken and flawed. In the New Testament, God sends His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save, to redeem a people who will make up a kingdom where there will never be any wickedness or justice forever. So who is that eternal king? Let me give you the verse. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him in his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Friend, the one true sovereign king and ruler over this world and universe is King Jesus. That's according to God's word. Now, when I say sovereign, ruler, and king, now, did you notice Paul didn't say in the world to come alone? He says in this world and the world to come. Augustine, one of our early church fathers, was right. He said, we count on God's mercy for our past mistakes. We count on God's love for our present needs. But we count on God's sovereignty for the future. Now, friend, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring about, and neither do you. I don't know what's going to happen next week at the election. 
and neither do you. I don't know what's going to happen next month or next year if God allows this world to last that long. I don't know what's going to happen and neither do you. Now we may not know what will happen tomorrow, but what I just told you and what God's Word says, we can definitely know the one who knows what will happen tomorrow because He planned it out. He is sovereign over all of it. It's the God of heaven who we can count on to give us every need that we have and to care for us as his children. Why? Because he reigns supreme and sovereign over all. I'm going to wind it up right here. A few things I just want to share with you real quick in closing. The fact that God's in complete control over all things, that should cause us, if you're a born again child of God, I'm speaking to you. If not, you need to surrender your life to this sovereign ruler. But if you're a Christian, I want you to listen to me. The fact that God is sovereign over all, controls all things, should cause us to worship Him on good days and bad days. And worship Him with, with humility, but with passion, with energy, and do so being awestruck. You know why I say we ought to worship Him being awestruck? Well, I kind of, I think I mentioned this when I prayed to start the service. The fact that the ruling creator and sustainer of the universe says, I desire to have a relationship with you. I want you to know me. I want you to hear me. I want you to love me. I want to express my love to you. I want you to serve me. God has given us that opportunity. And it ought, we ought to be all struck by that fact. Number two, not only worship. Him, that should cause us, knowing that God's in control, should cause us to trust His Word always, even when our plans don't work, even when things don't go the way that we think they ought to go. God knows everything, He's in control of everything, and if that's true, then He wants the best for us every moment of every day, then obviously we can trust Him. Do you agree with that? So let me tell you something. That means... That we should trust Him first. Above ourselves. Above our families. Above our friends. We should trust God above the church. Above the pastor. And definitely above our government. Trust God. Number three. Because God is sovereign. That should cause us to pray with confidence. Every single time we pray. Pray constantly, pray confidently because you're talking to the one who knows it all, who planned it all, and also the one who's going to hold you accountable for your decisions and actions. God says, if you'll ask me, I'll teach you, I'll lead you, I'll show you. So we keep on asking, we keep on knocking, we keep on seeking. God says, I promise I will lead the way. Follow me. For those of you that are history, Buffs, you may remember the story after Napoleon Bonaparte was for the last time toppled from his uh, European empire. He was exiled. During exile, he wrote this. He said, I die before my time and my body shall be given back to the earth and devoured by worms. What an abysmal gulf between my deep miseries and the eternal kingdom of Christ. I marvel that whereas the ambitious dreams of myself, of Alexander, and of Caesar should have vanished into thin air. A Judean peasant, Jesus, should be able to stretch his hand across the centuries and control the destinies of men and of nations. I agree with everything you said except for the fact that Jesus was just a Judean peasant. 
Jesus was God in flesh. Very God of very God. The sovereign creator, ruler, and sustainer of this universe. Church, everything that has happened and will happen, happened because God either caused it or allowed it to happen for his divine purpose and his divine plan. Regardless what happens next week. So having said that, I want to challenge you or encourage you, why not surrender every part of your life to the one who's in complete control of everything and everyone everywhere for all eternity? Why not just surrender and begin to follow him? Instead of living for self and self alone because that's not going to take you anywhere. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Begin to live according to God's plan and God's purpose. Be part of it. Decide to be part of it before God makes you part of it in a way you don't want. If you don't know Jesus, this is your opportunity. You say, well, I don't know Jesus, but I believe in God. Well, you can believe in God, and I'm going to do you a bit of good. Satan believes in God. Satan knows there's a God. Doesn't do you a bit of good. It's not about believing there's a God. It's about you submitting to the fact that he is sovereign overall. He had a plan to save you. It was a cross. You either come according to his plan or you don't come at all. I hope you remember that come next week, no matter what happens, it's not going to change the fact that God's still sovereign and God's got a plan. Would you bow your heads, please? I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, we'll stand and begin to sing a hymn of invitation. If you need to make a decision, come down front and do so. Maybe you need to come and pray. Ask God to focus your attention back on him and off the world. Or maybe you need to come and say, God, I'm surrendering all that I am to you. I don't understand all of it, but I understand that you're in charge. I surrender to you. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You want a church where God's word is preached without apology, where a church loves one another and believes in being about the purpose of reaching the world for Christ, this is the church. Come and let's talk about it. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Whatever decision you need to make, I'll be down front. The altars are open. Father, I pray for those today who needed a word of encouragement, who needed to look beyond the problems, trials, and troubles of this world and see you on your throne lifted up high and holy. Father, I pray that we will all take to heart that, that there's nothing happens that is beyond your control. And that, Father, your plan is ultimately going to work out for the best. Because you want what's best for us. What, what will grow us and conform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And bring glory and honor to you. Father, I pray that our hearts would beat with your heart today. I pray for those who need to make a decision. They would have the courage to do so. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand, please?